0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew
1: 18, verses 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: be to God. I do want to take a moment and kind of preface this sermon with, um, with sort of, a, I guess, a word of warning. Um, it will feel this morning. A bit like a bit like family business, and so if you're if you're not used to being around here, uh, just just know that uh, that's kind of what's happening here. And so I uh, I don't I'm not necessarily apologizing for that, but I'm just saying like uh, some of the things that I'm going to say may be a, a little bit different from from how I would normally sort of uh, approach uh, a Sunday morning gathering. And so. Um, with that said, let me just give you some context as to where you find yourself. So we're uh, we're a church that's really brand new, and what we're hoping to do is is really discover what it is that that God has called us to do and be as a church. Um, and so to that end, we've spent the last six weeks or so um, moving through a series that we've titled Church. Um, and what we've, what we've hoped to do is, is not only discern sort of who, who the church is, meaning like um, um, who makes up the church and why, but, but we're also trying to discern what is it that the church then does and, and why does it do those things. And so we spent the, the first three weeks of the series just kind of gaining some understanding of who the church is based on who who God is, right? So, so what we saw when we went to the scriptures was that God had always intended to have a people to himself, a people both to whom and through whom he would reveal himself. And, and what we see really throughout the rest of the story of the Old Testament, which are all the books written before Jesus, we see sort of this people that struggles to be this, this people that God had called them to be. And so they fail time and time again. And yet what we see in the New Testament and the books about Jesus is that God took action rather than sort of just stepping back and watching this experiment kind of go wrong, which is kind of how we tend to look at it, but that he actually purposed for that to be and that he sent his son in order to do what we couldn't do. So Jesus came and and lived that life that sort of centuries of men and women could not live. and, And he paid the debt that was due for them. But he not only paid the debt that was due for them, he paid the debt that was due for you and I, who struggle with the same thing. And and, and what happens is when the, the good news about Jesus takes root in the heart of a person, we're not only saved from our sin, but we're saved into the very family of God. And we see this sort of idea all throughout the New Testament, all the books written after Jesus, that that Jesus saves a people to belong to him and to one another. And so all, all that the church is is sort of built on this idea that God not only purposed to have himself a people, but he, that he sent Jesus, and it's through the confession of Jesus that we're then joined together as family, as, as this thing that we call the church, which more often than not is probably defined mostly by her physical boundaries or characteristics more so than the people who are actually in the room. And then what we saw is that uh, even, even sort of with God and Jesus, sort of this, this um, solution for our sin, this, this forgiveness that we've been given, that there's still sort of a, a call to live a life that is inherently impossible for the flawed human. And yet that Jesus said, I, I send my spirit to empower you to do those things. And that, and that he's actually with us, like that the spirit of God himself dwells among us the people of God, the church of Christ. And so what, what, what we've done is, is sort of gleaned some information from there. And then now what we're doing is just kind of saying, hey, what do we do in response to that? So we talked about preaching the word and how that's Im- important for us, right? Like, like there's, I think there's a lot of things that we as Christians ju- do just kind of, uh, maybe because we've heard sort of tradition or it's just, you know, I was raised and I was taken to church every Sunday. And so that's just, that's just sort of what we do. And yet what we want to do is go to the scriptures and draw out what not only what do we do, but but why do we do it. And so we talked about last week about making disciples. And today we're going to talk about um, being disciplined for holiness. And there's two words in that sermon title that people don't like. (laughs) Disciplined and and holiness. Um, And so everyone's okay with the four. We use that one pretty regularly. But discipline for holiness. And so what we want to do is, is, one, sort of get an understanding of, of what it means for us to, to, to be a holy people, why we should be that holy people, um, and, and then we want to see really sort of how, how we actually do that. How do we actually go about being, again, a not individuals, but a people who are collectively committed to our holiness, to the purity of this church which Jesus purchased by His blood. And so that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. Um, so um, here we go. We'll just dive right in. Um, let's, let's just read 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 through 12. It says this. And this is just going to kind of round up everything that I just said. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So already what what we begin to see here is that uh, the, the life of the Christian is to some degree lived in between a tension of two things. And that is that you have absolutely been purchased by the grace of Jesus like that your salvation was not something that, that you could earn. It was not something that you could build up enough good credit to obtain. But, but that at the same time, there is a call post that work in your heart. After Jesus has, has taken up residence with you, in you. To do what? To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which wage war against your soul to keep our conduct among the gentiles among the unbelievers so pure that they might see our good works and glorify God on the day of visitation right and so so here's where we have to sort of begin to to transition and here's where the where the hard word comes in is that absolutely uh, we are saved by grace through faith not of works but We also have to take the part that says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance for us to walk in them. And so here's here's what we're hoping to do this morning, very plainly and simply, is to to begin to foster in this church a, a culture in which we together collectively pursue one another's holiness like that we might become increasingly more and more like Jesus and so here's the thing this this follows very logically very clearly from what we talked about last week where the the commission that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew right before he ascends into heaven to be with his father he says what Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if if you've read that verse any in any amount of times, you know that I, I left off a piece. And, and the reason I left it off just now is because more often than not, our churches preach the gospel in such a way that that part is actually either marginalized or removed. Again, because we don't like the idea that we should actually fold into the reign and rule of our master, that we would be taught to obey what? Some of what he commanded, a portion, the portion that you like, the portion that's convenient for you, or all that he commanded? It's Spoiler alert, the answer is all all that he commanded that we would walk in such a way that we would follow Jesus in in all that he has commanded us and so and so you may be saying here like okay so how how does that sort of mesh with this this word holy that you're sort of throwing around this idea sort of of, of righteousness it's not there's no trick question here if if, if Jesus is who He says He is, and if He's done on your behalf what He says He has done, and He has bid you to come and follow Him, to come take up your cross and follow Him, then by necessity this means that as Jesus was righteous, as Jesus was holy, so we also should strive not only for unity, not only for grace, but for holiness like for for righteousness that we might actually reflect god's goodness and and his character so i uh, sorry i um, that was a little bit off uh in terms of rant status, but um Here's what we're going to do. We're going go to go uh, to Matthew 18, and what I want us to do is, is have sort of a good feel for where we're at in this text. And so here's what's happening, all right? This is, this is Jesus doing exactly what he asked us to do, right? So in Matthew 28, that's later on in this book, he, you know, he says, go, therefore, make disciples, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus is with his disciples right now, and he's doing the same thing with them. He's doing the same thing. And so, we're, even though we're just sort of tackling the back half of chapter 18, let me just kind of tell you what's going on. So, at the beginning of chapter 18, Jesus is with his disciples. And, and what's happening is the, the disciples are sort of uh, uh, in, in a little bit of an argument, and, and, and so what they believe about Jesus, they believe that he's the king, the son of God. They, they believe those things and, and, and they believe that when they die, they'll join him in heaven. And what they ask of Jesus is, hey, which, which one of us gets to sit in the place of honor? Like which, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Wh- which one of us will get to sit at, at your right hand? Which one of us will get to sit you know, two seats? Can you just kind of rank us? And Jesus goes on to say, Unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what what Jesus is doing again is he's he's saying look you have you have a selfish ambition in you and what I'm going to tell you is that if if you want to follow me you're going to lay that down. And and let me tell you why because you know what me I'm Jesus and and I was the greatest in heaven. And yet I I set that aside and I took upon myself flesh and I came and dwelt among you. The the next thing that happens, he's going to talk to them about sort of the temptation of sin. He says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. It is necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And so and so what is he saying he's saying look look you've you've got you've got this cancer in you and it and and it would be better if you cut that piece out if that meant that you were able to sort of better come and follow me you don't want to hurt anyone you don't you you, you should be able to sort of lay those things down, to set aside your sin, right? He's, he's Again, he's coaching them. He's teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. He goes on to tell them a, a parable, a story about this lost sheep, about how a, a sheep sort of is, is lost from the general flock and, the, and the, the shepherd, the good shepherd, goes after it. And when he returns with it, he rejoices over it. And so, what he's doing is he's he's showing these men, these disciples, how to love God and love people. That's that's simply what 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 Jesus is doing here, telling them how to love God and love people. Love redirects its ambition from self to for others. Love doesn't want to hurt others faith doesn't want to tempt people to sin love seeks others out they go after the lost sheep and now we arrive at this text which seems somewhat horribly out of place doesn't it so it's like you're Jesus is coaching these men how to love other people he's saying you're going to you're going to do these things be like the child be humble don't tempt people to sin go after the lost sheep love people and then he says if someone sins against you, I, I, I need you to go tell them. Which, in, in in sort of modern day Christianity, those two things are kind of incongruous, right? Like we begin to, how do those two things? Love, but the, yet you're going to essentially judge someone. That's the word that we like to throw around. It right? seems seems horribly out of place. Go and tell them. And then if they don't listen to you, you're supposed to grab two or three other people and then go again. And if they don't listen, then you're supposed to tell the whole church. How? What, what are you talking about? And yet what I would would put before you this morning is that the theme of Jesus' teaching changes not one iota in that Jesus is teaching these men how to love people. And that if we if we really want to be this community of faith, if we really want to be a people who are rallied around the gospel of Jesus, we have to rally around its entirety, which is not only that that the gospel pardons, as we just sang, but that it also cleanses within. That the gospel pardons, that that the gospel removes our shame and our guilt for our sin, but that it also cleanses it, that it actually roots that sin out of us. Like that, Because of the gospel, we can not only be saved from sin, but we can be saved to holiness and righteousness. So here's what I would say um, as, as we talk about sort of uh, this, this pursuing holiness. I, I hope that at this point, what we begin to see is that the pursuit of holiness is, is not so much again, let's not return to, um, sort of this works based salvation. Like that. If you, that if you are more holy, that if you do sort of more things that you will inevitably build up enough credit with God, that your salvation no longer rests on Jesus and it rests on your good works. It's not going to happen ever. So let's not put that away, but let's also not gravitate so far to this end that we say that our holiness doesn't matter, that our conduct isn't to be respectable, that, that we don't image the person and work of Jesus by the way we behave. You see, like I said, I mean, often the Christian walk is lived in between these tensions. And so we should be we should be absolutely dep- filled with the gospel of grace, but we should recognize, we should recognize that this gospel doesn't merely take away our guilt from our sin, but it actually breaks its power in our lives. Like that as Romans says, that that once you were slaves, but now you've been set free. That that which, that that which enslaves you, that your, your sin, which uh, oftentimes, if we are honest, and I, I can say this about mine, feels like I can't get out from underneath it. We need to believe that the gospel is good enough, true enough, strong enough to not only forgive, but to cleanse. So... Um, Let's just kind of jump right in here in terms of some of the practical. Um, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you've probably at some point ex- experienced um, or, or heard or felt um, this particular feeling or this particular statement. The church is filled with hypocrites, right? And, and to some degree, like that's, that's true. The very assertion of, of our belief set is that we couldn't do something and that Jesus did it for us. And that now we're called to sort of live this impossible life of, of holiness and righteousness. But this, this issue, you see this issue, especially for Christians, because I think we, get, we tend to get very self-critical about the church when it starts to confront sort of how, how we feel about ourselves. But we, we'll, we'll sort of use that accusation, the church is full of hypocrites, to sort of release ourselves or to preclude ourselves from the gathering of the saints. And yet this, this understanding, this sort of cultural view of the church, that the church is full of hypocrites, rests entirely on our shoulders. It does. I mean, there, there's something really beautiful at the end of the book of Romans where, where Paul is writing to this church and he says, You, you are known by your obedience. And he's not just talking about, like, you're known by Christians for your obedience, but he's saying, like, you as a church in the world are known for your obedience to Jesus. And here's the thing. We, We often, easily, willingly cry and whine about the church's hypocrisy, and yet we take no measure, no strive, no effort, to actually begin to rectify that by the empowering of the Spirit to actually follow what Jesus has called us to do. And so we sit in our muck and we play and we mess around and we, and we point fingers and we blame other people for getting us dirty. And yet, in the gospel, we don't, we don't just have, again, we don't just have the power to say, okay, I'm right with Jesus, but we have the, we have the power also to say, I can put to death this sin I can become more obedient to Christ and as we become more obedient to Christ guess what happens People people come to know Jesus because because what happens when you begin to be obedient to what Jesus has called you to be obedient to you begin to illustrate that Jesus is more valuable than that thing I mean that's that that's what happens right so let's say, let's say you're a Christian in the room, you don't, you don't give to the church at all. Yeah, You're like, oh great, he just went there too. I might as well just lump them all in on the same sermon, right? Um, but you don't, get, you don't give to the church at all. You're, functionally, what you are saying by that is that I value my money more than I value what Jesus says is good for me, which is that I would be rested, that I would be released from my bondage, my slavery to, to having these things. You're like the rich young ruler who, who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, here's the commandments. And he says, I've done all of those. And then Jesus says, fine, sell everything you have. Come follow me. And he, and he leaves sad because he values his treasure more than he values Jesus. For some of you, it may be, you know, you're, you're sleeping with, with one another. You're, you're sleeping with, you know, your your, your girlfriend or your, or even your fiance. I don't care if you put a ring on it. You're not married. And, and what you're saying in that moment, and this is, if, this is if you're a Christian, okay? So if you're not a Christian, like, just relax. I'm not trying to conform you to morality, But if you're, if you're a Christian in the room, you know. You know. And what's, what's, what's plain and simple and obvious in that moment is that you value that action. You value your own pleasure more than you value Jesus and what he's done for you. And not only that, you value it more than the witness of the church. Like that the church would be known as a, as a holy people. That the church would actually be this people in 1 Peter 2.9 that, that Jesus has called us to be. A, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people bought, bought by the blood of Jesus in order that we might proclaim his excellencies. Not just by our words, but by our actions, but by our obedience. By showing people that Jesus is in fact valuable. By showing, in fact, that our our treasure isn't here, that it's stored for us in heaven. By showing that 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 sex or pride or anger or bitterness or any of those things, none of them are, are compare to the matchless worth of Jesus, and and none of them survive in His presence. Look, if we if we want mantras, to know that Jesus is real, it will absolutely take the bold proclamation of the word of Jesus that we are sinners, saved by grace and grace alone through faith, not of works. But if alongside that there is not an an accompanied walk, progression into following Jesus' commands, into putting to death our sin and taking up the good news of the grace of God's gospel towards us in Christ... They they won't they won't know they won't know Jesus. It 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 just it, it won't it won't happen because we're not we're not living according to our our identity. We're living according to our slavery, our sin. And look, people people in this neighborhood need to know that that sort of this ascent to Jesus is not something that just appeases a conscience, but it's something that changes a life. Because there are are people out there who are enslaved to sin in such a way that they have no hope, not in you, not in me, but they do in Jesus. And you, you are the evidence of that. You are the first fruits of God's gospel grace taking root in a heart and removing that which is cancerous and leaving behind that which is pure and holy and blameless. Because what is, it, what is it that Ephesians chapter 1 says? Ephesians chapter 1 is just the first couple of verses. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Great. Finish the verse. That we should be holy And blameless before him. Look, the 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 moment you you said yes to Jesus, the moment that the Holy Spirit came in and regenerated your heart, made it it able to see the truth about Jesus, took you from death to life, in, in that moment, your journey to holiness began. And so your 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 holiness doesn't just sort of happen when you die. Like no, it it starts in that moment. It's in that moment that we say, Jesus, I'm no longer the king of my life. You are. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my very best to obey that which you've commanded me, knowing and resting in the fact that when I do mess up, there's grace. But that doesn't divorce us from the effort, the desire to follow Jesus in that which he's called us to do and be. So, we talked about last week this idea that the mark of discipleship is is obedience, like that uh, that just like James would would say, you know, show me a faith without works that faith is is dead. Like that like that people who actually follow Jesus obey Jesus. It's a fairly logical train of thought. But for many of us, God's love in the gospel gets reduced to sort of this unconditional affirmation of everything that you do. You're justified in all that you do. You just sort of hold up that that grace card. And while we should confidently hold up the grace card, we should also recognize that our sin is still deeply offensive and not becoming of someone who has been lavished upon with the riches of God's mercy, grace, and favor in Christ Jesus. You know, it's it's interesting for us to think um, that God is a holy God. That the angels in His presence are holy creatures. That the throne in heaven is surrounded by holy saints. That the song that we'll sing and at the end of all things is what holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And yet think that 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 sort of imaging Him or following Him has nothing to do with actually being holy. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will follow my commands. This is why Paul in Ephesians 5 can say, look, how, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be foolish. So, we've sort of, I think we've done enough work here to understand that like, we should pursue holiness. Like that, that God has given us his word to be, to, that, that we can look at and sort of measure what that holiness is and that we can go in and actually begin to follow Jesus' commands and what 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 Matthew is trying to do for us now is to give us a handbook of how that happens. And so again, this is this is not about your individual journey, although that plays a part in it. It's about our collective journey. It's about the church's journey to become the people that God has called us to be. And so if you're if you're a member of Sojourn, this is this is how we handle this stuff. Okay? This is this is what we want to do because I don't I don't want it to be strange. I don't want it to be weird when somebody comes to you and says, you know what? I've noticed this and I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not gossiping, but I want you to know that Jesus wants us to be holy and he paid dearly for our holiness, for our righteousness. And so let's, let's strive together for unity and for that righteousness. And so here's, here's how this happens. And again, it's all, it's all born out of love. This entire, this entire chapter is all about Jesus showing people how to love people. And he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Already you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Number one, isn't, isn't that judging? Number two, that's also very uncomfortable for me, so no. But you know, there's, uh, again, just just so that we're clear about this. The, the reason that these things need to happen, the reason that, that, that Jesus wants them to happen among us. In Galatians 6, it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So here, here's where we're going in this. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So here's the thing, a lot of us have been, again, in a church situation in which our dirty laundry was aired sort of for everyone to see. And so we think, wait a minute, this is kind of touching on that territory, and I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I like these people enough to really sort of begin this process. And this, look, this is why Jesus gives us the instruction in the way that he does. What's the First thing you should do. You believe, you believe that someone has sinned against you or, you or you've witnessed somebody in sin. You've seen somebody, as Galatians said, transgress. Here's what you don't do. You don't circle up with your parish gathering. And, and when the time for prayer requests comes, you say, uh, we just really need to pray for Bob. You know, I saw him at the bar last night, three sheets to the wind. It was over. You know, So let's just pray for Bob in all your sort of piousness, you know what I mean? But no, you actually have the boldness, you actually love that person enough to go and confront them personally and say to them, to their face, this is what I believe I saw and this is, this is what I think the Lord has called us to do. I'm not pronouncing judgment upon you because God has already judged that you found favor in Jesus, So, but what I am saying is that you should follow him because he purchased you because he bought you. And so you come, you come in that context. And you come, you you come to them in order that they might be restored, that you might be gentle with them. So what you don't what we're not gonna do, what we're not gonna be here at Sojourn is a place in which we sort of just walk around beating people over the head with what they should be doing. But what we are gonna do is be loving, caring enough to confront people with the bad news of their sin, but the good news that Jesus has enough grace to cover it. So the, so the first thing you're going to do, if, if, if we see this, let's just agree to this as sojourn. If, if, if we see these moments, let's, let's love one another enough. Like, let's have enough care for one another. Let's have enough confidence in the gospel to actually confront one another when we see that we are not living into our new identity, our purchased identity in Jesus. But here's the thing. Sometimes that doesn't always work, right? So it says this in the next verse. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So do you do you begin to see how this whole process, again, it's, it's done in love. It's all about somebody being restored, right? It says if he listens, then you've gained a brother. It's all about trying to manage this in such a way that it... It, it cares for this person who is in sin. And so, and so what does he say? He doesn't say, if they don't listen, shout it from the mountaintops until everybody's heard it, and then hopefully they'll be ashamed enough to just sort of stop for a period. No, he's, he's like, look, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep sort of this blast radius as small as we can. And so you know what? You take two or three trusted people with you. And and in the hopes that in in numbers of gospel grace, not condemnation, because Romans eight already said that there's none there's none left. But that but that in gospel grace that and in the sort of the the larger presence of that in the, the two or the three other people that this person again will be shepherded, steered back into the flock. But sometimes that doesn't work either, right? It says this. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now this is kind of where it gets a little more scary. But I, but I we, we need to know this, especially if you're a member of Sojourn, because what you've signed on for is this kind of life. And it and it wasn't like in the fine print, it was bold, big in the middle. So don't complain. Um, but that, but that, look that we're going to take we're we're going to take sin and the holiness, the purity of the purchased bride of Christ seriously enough that we will not only love each other to come to one another personally, but that we'll get as many people as need to be involved involved with prudence in order to see you restored to holiness and fellowship with the body of Christ. And if not, then there's probably a pretty good chance that after these three big time warnings that maybe just maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe just maybe it's not good for the church of Jesus to be known by people who who don't follow Jesus right that's a like that's a misrepresentation of the people of God is it not Like Jesus buys a people, not a perfect people, but an imperfect people that he goes on to slowly, gradually, over time, perfect. And if you're not willing to make the steps to follow Jesus, to establish in your life and among your peers, especially those who don't know Jesus, that he actually is more valuable, that what he has to offer is actually much more, goes far beyond the scope of anything that this world could have to offer. If you can't do that especially after there's been a loving entreat of come back, be, be a part of this, be joined to us. Let's follow the Lord in holiness. If you can't do it, there's a good chance that maybe you're not a Christian. And I'm not saying this to create doubt. Because look, I mean, there's, there's moments where I'm like, I, everybody has that Roman seven day where it's like, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? What I, what I do, I, I don't want to do. And and the things that I don't do, those are the things that I actually want to do. So those moments are going to happen. But if there's if there's no progression, and if even after brothers and sisters, the the, the ones who want to love you in this way, if you can't if you can't arrive at that same conclusion, then that's that's what Jesus says. He says, Let him be to you as a Gentile, as a tax collector, as in removed from the fellowship as in let him be to you as not a christian which means don't baptize him which means don't uh, like don't have them take the lord's supper because they're they're fooling themselves they're deceiving themselves and what is it that jesus goes on to say truly i say to you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven so look when we get to get to this sort of conversation about like why why should we be involved in church what how what why does membership matter which we're going to talk about that later but but look the church is a people that together have been given this responsibility to be collectively about our holiness to such a degree that we are willing again to take up sort of this mantle of responsibility and say look at ourselves honestly soberly wisely and say where are the areas in my life that I need to submit to Jesus? Because he didn't come for parts of you. He didn't come for your money. He 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 came for you and he's going to get you by removing you from your money. So, this is this is what this is what we would call church church discipline. And that sounds all, all fancy and really scary, but again, a lot of times we tend to think of church discipline as simply, well, you're out of the club. When it's really like, let's be a place in which church discipline happens because when the church is disciplined for holiness, people actually come to know Jesus. Like that, like that they'll know us by our love for one another. And that if we actually love one another, as Jesus is coaching his disciples to love one another, that we'll actually step outside of our comfort, that we'll actually move into those areas of darkness and shine light. And say, and say look, brother, sister, you're free from that. Jesus rescued you from that. Let's turn and repent in faith that the gospel ocean doesn't run dry that we can come and drink freely from the well of his forgiveness and that he can draw us into his righteousness and holiness. So here's what I would I would hope and this is just kind of to conclude um, I would hope that I would hope that as we as we read this as we sort of see this uh re- really kind of three things. Number one, um, that we would see that, that the gospel of Jesus doesn't just leave us in a state where we're forgiven, but transfers us not only from forgiven, but to favored and righteous. The, the, the second thing I would hope is that we would then begin to see that a commitment to the pursuit of holiness is not resting in your works, but it's moving into the good works that Jesus already prepared beforehand for you to do. Do you, get, do you see that? Do you see how natural that, that is? Jesus prepared the good works for you in advance to do. And then the third thing I would hope for us is that we would, that we would actually believe that we would actually believe that this gospel that Jesus has given us is good enough, is strong enough, is powerful enough, is able enough to change you, to make you a different person. Will it take time? Yeah. Will it it be hard? Yes. Will there be awkward conversations involved? Absolutely there will be. And yet, by God's grace, you'll be changed. So Sojourn, can we... Can we believe the gospel is good enough not only to rescue us from guilt, but to give us new lives? Can we believe that the gospel is good enough not only to appease our conscience, but to actually rid us of that which accuses us? Can we believe that the gospel is good enough not only to accept us as we are, but to steer us towards our new identity in Christ? Can we believe this not just for ourselves, but for the others in our community? Can we allow the goodness, the richness of the gospel to compel us towards holiness holiness, both personally and collectively. Can we let this gospel give us the strength to confess to one another, knowing that in Jesus we've already been forgiven? Can we let this gospel give us the strength to confront one another, knowing that in Jesus they've already been forgiven? My my hope is, And my desire is that we at Sojourn would be known, would be marked by our gospel-soaked obedience. That it might be said of us, just like it was said of the church at Rome, that you are known by your obedience. That we would show that Jesus is actually a good master and king, a righteous ruler who reigns in wisdom and in holiness and in justice, but also in peace, and in love, and in mercy. Let's pray.